you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Happy Mother's Day. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 3. We're going to be finishing out the chapter starting in verse 6 today. Um, if you don't know, my name is Pastor Isaiah Carroll. And I'll have you know they were scraping for the bottom of the barrel when they decided I would preach this morning. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Greg went on vacation. John Paul's supposed to be on vacation. I get the feeling that I probably should have also gone on vacation. So here we are. And uh, let's get into the word. Second Thessalonians 3 starting in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this worship this morning. We thank you for what you've already done in this place and the things that you're teaching us. Pray that you would use my words this morning to reveal something new about yourself or remind your congregation about who you are. Father, I pray all these things in your name. So the title of this sermon is Next Level Monday. We've been going through the through the series Next Level Living for the past few months, and it has taken us through both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and today we're wrapping it up. Mondays are normally the hardest days of the week. You've just come off the weekend, you wore yourself out doing house chores, and boom, it's time to get back on that schedule. Got to get the kids to school, got to get to work at 8 a.m., whatever it may be. But what if I told you I have a secret to make your Mondays easier? By making a simple shift in your thinking, you can turn Mondays into a day of worship, a day of reliance on God. They go from mundane to sacred, from just another day to next level. Your everyday life should be advancing the kingdom of God on this earth, even while you're at your workplace. After all, that is our mission as a Christian. But you may be thinking, I don't have time for a lunch break Bible study or swamped at work right now. I'm a full time parent or I'm retired or I invite my coworkers to church on Easter, so I should be good. 
But let me tell you a story. There was a tent maker way back in the day before Coleman and Ozark Trail when handmade tents were still a viable option. This tent maker would go from town to town selling his tents. He'd set up in the marketplace and make them for the people of the town. He worked day and night to provide for all of his own personal needs and even enough to give to those who weren't as fortunate as he was. He ran his tent making business fairly so that the people took notice of his business practices. He provided an exceptional product at a fair price and the people knew that there was something different about him. This tent maker's business reflected his Christian walk and soon became a tent making ministry that was able to reach many people for God. This tent maker set for us an example of a next level Monday. His name was Paul, the same Paul of the Church of Acts who wrote these letters in the Bible that we've been reading through for the past few months. The same Paul that encountered God on the road to Emmaus, who had a complete life change, who God used to impact many lives through salvation, miracles, and other works of the Spirit. Paul made tents. He wasn't a full-time vocational minister. He wasn't on staff at a local congregation. He was a man with a call from God to spread the gospel who uses tent-making ability to give him access into spaces where the gospel wasn't welcome and to provide for his own needs. Paul used this season of his life to further impact the kingdom of God. Paul here is addressing the Thessalonian church who he's already set an example for. He's previously instructed them on what Christ-like work looks like. You may remember this passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 from a couple weeks ago. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. They showed them an example of how to live. In fact, many, in the, many people in the church that time probably met him first as a tent maker in the marketplace. So where did the church keep going wrong? Idleness. Uh, before we dive into the meat of this, let's define our terms. What is idleness? Is it laziness? It can be, but more so, it is the ability to work and provide for yourself, but neglecting to do so. You're idle when you have the ability to work, but don't do it. Before questions arise, idleness can only apply to those who are both mentally and physically able to provide for themselves. Being a busybody for our time today is functional idleness. Busyness for show, working for show. So let's get into understanding the issue here. So we see in 2 Thessalonians 3 that Paul is reminding them of the charge he gave them in his previous letter. Further expanding on the ways he taught them. In verse 6, Paul commands them to keep away from any brother who walks in idleness. Well, doesn't that seem harsh? But this was a model set for us since the beginning. We see in Genesis that God created man, and one of his tasks was to tend the garden. Later, after the fall of man, man was commissioned to labor and work. We were commissioned to work. Why? To provide for our everyday needs to survive. And How are we to do it? As though we're working for the Lord. But some of the Thessalonian church wasn't taking this seriously. They're obviously surviving somehow if this letter is being written to them. And to understand this, we need to remember, we need to remember the early church model. 
In the early church context, when someone was without clothes, the church body would clothe them. Without food, they'd provide for them. So what were these people doing? Mooching off the church, being a burden to society. Some of these people were theological deadbeats, a.k.a. busybodies. By showing up to work in idleness or laziness, they both hurt their own witness and the witness of the larger Christian church. Others were fully idle out of a misplaced religious piety to lean on God for their everyday needs or preoccupied with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Both of these groups of people have good intentions, though. Whether it was anxiously awaiting the arrival of Jesus or seeking a fully devoted life to God. But where they went wrong was not realizing the impact their actions had on their brothers and sisters in Christ. He who without necessity eats other people's bread is no better than a thief. These actions were hurting their witness, their relationships with people both inside and outside of the church. One of my professors in college always used to say, everything speaks, what is it saying? So their actions spoke. What were they telling the outside world? What was their witness to those around them? Their actions were teaching people that Christianity is a burden to society. It produced busybodies in the workforce and crazy people that would rather starve for Christ than work. This was their witness, and this is what Paul was continuously trying to combat. Now, our society doesn't struggle with idleness in the same way the early church did. I don't know anyone who won't work because of the coming king or because they're trying to rely more on Jesus. In Paul's time, Christians were taught about Shabbat, Sabbath, or the Holy Day. But these people who were living in idleness were living in a continual state of Shabbat. In our American work forward, climb to the top of the food chain mindset, I would say that our issue isn't majority idleness. Our issue is that many American Christians are in a perpetual state of busybodiness, where we leave our faith at the door, where we enter our workplace with just the mindset to get home at the end of the day. Our modern concept of work does not follow the tradition that Paul set for us. In fact, we're taught the opposite. We're taught by our society to hoard wealth, to stay busy, and that work should give us purpose. But the tradition Paul set for us is exactly in line with the ethics Jesus taught us. Something powerful happens when we bring our Christian worldview and ethics into a secular workforce. But how do we do that? We change our mindset. To do that, we first start thinking about our workplace as a sacred space. Second Corinthians hold this, holds this truth that many Christians can recite at the tip of a hat. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. But we normally quit reading there because that's all good. Um, But chapter 5 continues on to say, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you are a Christian, you are in the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus already did the heavy lifting for it on the cross, but you need to realize your calling to the ministry of reconciliation. So to get out of our busybody mindset, we first need to realize that work can and should be a sacred place. Whether you work at McDonald's, 
Walmart, at the local school, your home, or in a hospital, you are in the ministry of reconciliation. This is our calling as believers. We're called to be set apart in everything we do. We need a mindset change. Not everyone's called to work in a church. Not everyone's meant to work in a church doing full-time ministry. In fact, full-time ministry is a relatively new concept. Jesus did not pastor a local congregation while he was on earth. Paul wasn't a missionary who went on fundraising campaigns to plant churches. You do not need to be in the church to be doing ministry. In fact, the fields are ripe for harvest at many of your workplaces. God may have you working in fast food for this season, and your calling is to make every moment holy. Many of you may know this, but for a long time when I was between college and a church job, which I had believed God had called me to and had trained up until that time for, I worked at Cabela's. <laughs> yeah, the outdoor store in Noblesville. But one of my constant prayers was, God, give me divine encounters today. And you wouldn't believe how much he blessed that prayer. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say divine encounters, thank God moments. Those conversations that you have, that, that when they're over, you think to yourself, surely that was God. And I had so many of these encounters where coworkers would ask me about my faith, and I was able to encourage many in theirs. The first time this ever happened to me when I was working there, my now friend Brant came up to me and asked, Isaiah, are you a Christian? You know, when somebody asks you that, your mind just begins to race. Like, why would they ask me that? You know, uh, so you have something against Christians? Like, we're going to have a hard relationship now? But so I somewhat shyly answered yes. And you wouldn't believe how much our relationship grew just out of that. Like, we were able to pray for each other, uh, encourage each other in the word. And it was wonderful. Here's another example. One day I was working the optics counter, which is where they have all the binoculars and the spotting scopes and all that stuff. And a customer came up to me and said, Yishayahu, which doesn't mean anything to you guys, but that's what my arm says in Hebrew. So you don't meet a lot of people who can speak biblical Hebrew, let alone read your arm. <laughs> so uh, so he said, Yishayahu. I said, well, someone must know Hebrew. But out of that interaction, I made a friend named David who was in a similar place as I was. Two people in ministry that were displaced by covid he was a United Methodist Church pastor whose church was shut down by coronavirus. We were able to encourage each other on our job hunts, trying to fulfill the callings we knew God had put on our lives. That was one of the many ways to reconcile or redeem your workplace. When you pray for encounters like this, God will bless it. He wants to make himself known through you, make your everyday life sacred. A second thing we can do is to remember to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a command that Jesus gave us that, that should both apply in our everyday life and to our work. So what does loving your neighbor as yourself look like in your workplace? If you're in sales, it may mean steering someone away from a product that you know isn't fit for them. If you're in an office space, it may be staying late to help a coworker on a project. If you're in home construction, it's leaving a clean job site and guaranteeing your work. Same thing for an auto mechanic, treating someone fairly and making sure they know exactly what's going on. Loving your neighbor as yourself is key in this life of pursuing Christ-likeness. Jesus lived a life of compassion, of loving his neighbor. In many cases, it's speaking the truth even when it's hard and showing you care for the lives of people around you. 
Paul commands us in verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. This is a calling for our lives. Continue your life of doing good, even at work, when your boss is mad and things are tense around the workplace. This is our calling. One of my favorite examples of Jesus' life of compassion comes from John 11 and happens to hold the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. There's your memory verse for today. Go recite it to your mom. She'll be proud. Jesus wept. But why was Jesus weeping? Jesus was sitting. All right. (laughs) So this sort of life is hard and it will take so much out of you. And that's why we need to worship with rest. Finally, if you want to have a next level Monday, start with a next level Sunday and worship with rest. Key to combating our busy body mindset is rest. Shabbat, the Sabbath day that we are commanded to keep holy. This will keep us falling back onto the mundane, robotic, burned-out lifestyle that so many of us live. Oh, how we wait for when VBS is coming so we can do some real ministry, or for Sunday so that you can serve in the church. Your ministry is right where you are in your life right now. It won't be easy, and God knew this. I think he had us in mind when he created the Sabbath day. We don't hear much about the Sabbath day in our culture You may already have some ideas of how to celebrate or take part in this day, like going to church, lounging around the house, getting your home projects done, and you may think that the Sabbath just means Sunday. But what does God's word tell us about Sabbath? In Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites have been delivered out from Egypt into the wilderness, and they continually see God's provision through manna, their food, and and water coming out of rocks to quench their thirst. Uh, Moses is taken up on Mount Sinai and is given the Ten Commandments, one of which is the commandment that the American church has a pretty hard time with. It reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the Lord's day. It's not a day for selfish gain or work. It's a day for rest. In a pursuit to become more like God the Father, you must rest just as he did. A true Sabbath day is still something practiced in traditional Jewish circles. You may be familiar with the typical saying, Shabbat Shalom, which translated literally means Sabbath peace. But it means so much more than that. It's a greeting that means something more like 
May the Lord restore you to wholeness on this Sabbath day. After your long work week, may the Lord restore you on your day of intentional rest. In Exodus 16, we're told that while the Israelites were out in the wilderness, they needed food. So God made bread bread or manna rain down from heaven every morning. They were instructed to gather only what they needed for that day because it would rot and grow with maggots if any of it was saved for the next day. However, on the sixth day of the week, they were commanded to gather double what they needed in preparation for the Sabbath. In this way, they kept the Sabbath holy. Your Sabbath doesn't need to be Sunday. It should be a day that you choose to spend in rest with God every week. And just like the Israelites, your Sabbath day will take planning. Maybe you'll need to meal prep or get all those house chores done the day before, but having a day to rest is essential for your holiness and for the sanctification of your work week. This type of work is completely counterculture. It doesn't make sense at all in our world that is so monetarily minded and production driven. We're trained to run, run, run all of the time. Work while you can and make all the money you need to to live a happy life. But I'll have you know the kingdom of God has nothing to do with your worldly treasures. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for the hoarding of wealth or I'll say greed. The working tradition Paul set for the Thessalonian church was also in deep contrast with the Roman contempt for manual labor. The Romans regarded manual labor as slave labor. It held a low ranking in their culture at the time. But Paul taught to live a quiet life and rely on no one for your sustenance. I'd like to invite the band back up. So what does your work-life witness look like? What does it say about the kingdom of God when your attitude completely changes as you walk into work, jump on that call, or put on your name badge? Will you take the challenge to make tomorrow next level? Our Christian walk should be constant in every place we go. We should be walking around with this kingdom mindset, with the next level Monday mindset. And just like Paul says to the Thessalonian church in verse 15, if you see a brother walking in idleness, let them know. Speak into their life and help them. Warn them as a family member in the family of God. Build each other up. Recognize every place you go is a sacred space. And take time to love your neighbor and seek out those divine encounters. Don't get caught up in the busyness. Take some time today to reflect and ask God if you have been a busybody, functionally idle, and ask for forgiveness. Then allow God to widen the path for your gospel mission. Let's stand and worship.